A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Hello, bonjour, wagwan, and what's happening, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to the DNA Airwaves. This podcast is brought to you by the DNA Project, your entertainment agency. If you have any live entertainment needs, check out thednaproject.ca. This week's podcast is also brought to you by the MPL, Toronto's modular film and audio studios. If you have any film or audio needs, head down to the-mpl.com for more information. That's MPL like maple without vowels. Today's episode is a part of our Canada-wide spotlight. As a Canadian podcast, we thought it would be interesting to take a listen to the music that's coming out of the provinces surrounding us. Today we sat down with Desiree Dorian, who's a singer-songwriter out of Manitoba. We chatted about country music, indigenous music, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. Stay tuned. Are you ready? Good? Good to go? Yep. Rolling. All I right. think we're good to go, sir. Cool. Desiree, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing well. Thank you. Lovely, lovely. So we are very excited to talk to you. You are in a genre of music that is interesting to me, but also um, I think you were the first artist in this genre that we've spoken to on here, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So yeah, we want to have a lot of fun questions and love to hear a little bit about your upbringing and I guess I should mention the genre that we're talking about because I know everyone's just sitting there in suspense listening now. So we're talking about country music, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, first, yeah of all, first of all, how did you get into country? Was that uh, something that you grew up around? or? Yeah, totally. I, um, I, my mom is Métis and my dad is uh, Cree. And so growing mm. up, we had community radio playing all the time. Um, and then my dad had like this big whack of cassette tapes and it was all just country music. So I grew up listening to like Waylon Jennings and Dolly Parton and, um, Kitty Wells, Mm -hmm. like all of the old, old traditional country. And, um, what I loved about country as a kid was the stories. Like I would listen to the lyrics and listen and Mm. and pay attention to how the stories unfolded in those songs. And, um, And that was really what, what drew me to the, the genre, was the storytelling. Yeah, I think that's kind of the one thing that we probably would all agree to, whether we listen to country on a regular basis or not. It's kind of known um, for the writer's ability to tell a story, and usually in pretty interesting and almost like a longer form way than you'll find in most other types of music, mm-hmm. from my listening yeah, experience sure. at least. So. That's been special. When did you get into um, singing and writing and everything else that comes with it? Writing came first for me. I love, um, and it's really my first love. Um, And I remember writing songs as early as six years old. 
I remember my, the, one of the very first songs I ever wrote was a song about a, a kid falling off the swing and like hurting himself. And it was, it was a stupid song, <laughs> <laughs> but like already at six years old, I was putting together stories and like trying to paint pictures with words. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when I was about 12, 11 or 12 years old, we were up in um, Opasquia Cree Nation for their uh, treaty days. And mm-hmm. I had an aunt uh, who is now deceased, but her name was Diane DeChambeau. And she knew that I loved music and, and she, I, she'd heard me singing around the house and whatnot. And so she'd convinced me to enter into the talent show at their treaty days. And I did. And then just before I was called to get on stage, I got stage fright and I was trying to back out. Oh, no. And... Oh. Um, <laughs> And she kind of gave me hell and said, no, 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 get up there. And she kind of, <laughs> you know, smacked me along and I, yeah. I ended up going and, that, and I won that talent show. And that wow. was kind of, for me, a moment where I realized that I really enjoyed being on the stage. And right. even right. though it was scary and I still get scared, even even yeah. now yeah. going, getting up to perform, but, um, but I, really, I really felt good there. And... Um, and so from there, I just, I entered into a whole bunch of talent shows and did that, the, the Northern talent show circuit as yeah, a kid. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and then the rest kind of fell into place from there. That's interesting. Um, For sure. And it's, it's funny because you mentioned you still get scared to this day before you perform. Yeah. I was listening I I get, to. Uh, I get butterflies every single time. Every single time. Has there ever been a every time where you time. weren't nervous before you performed? Strange question. But no. I'm asking for a reason. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. I get nervous every single time. Still, I always think about the worst. Like, oh, I'm gonna forget my words, or um, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I'm gonna me- miss up, mess up. I'm gonna, mm. you know, make an ugly face when I'm singing, or ridiculous things that go through my head. <laughs> That's what are some coping mechanisms, though? Like, how do you kind of just fight through all of that anxiety in your head and just kind of keep going forward? Um, well, I mean, I think by the time, like, I'm booked to play a show, I just know that I don't have a choice. Like, there's no, there's no option. <laughs> there's no going, going back. Going okay. back. Okay. I'm contractually bound to be on this stage. <laughs> right. So. right. So sink or swim. <laughs> sink or swim. <laughs> sink or swim, kid. Sink or swim. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. It could be something yeah. with just the over-preparation, too, because you're probably playing the scenarios a million times in your mind. And Dariki, yeah, you, might, well, you might... And oh, I've so, had a bunch of nightmares, too, of, like, literally forgetting my words. Like, I'll wake up right, in the middle of the right. night, and I'm I'm on stage in my dreams and, like, <laughs> singing something completely wrong and completely different than what I'm supposed to be doing. So, it right. like, it is something that haunts me sometimes. <laughs> Do you just bet, wake I up bet. from those nightmares or do you wake up and think about the moments and then correct it in your mind? <laughs> no, you, I, you know, I just, I, it's just something that I think, um, like I said, songwriting has always been my first love. And if I, if I could just songwrite and, yeah, yeah. you know, not have the public performance component, that would probably be perfect for my world. Um, right. And I think, okay. I think a lot of artists are like that, you know, we're, we're mm. kind of, introverted in many ways and and i i relate to that um you know sure. the the anxiety that comes with with being a, yeah. a public performer i've seen that too and in a lot of cases yeah. for most people there's such a fear of being in front of people speaking and geez especially singing i can't even imagine for myself 
holding a microphone and singing in front of a live audience, making me feel uncomfortable just talking about it. But <laughs> you look at these people like yourself, and on stage you have so much confidence. And Dariki, I should throw you into that mix too, because same thing, on stage you have, you would never know by never li- know. looking or listening that you're really an introverted person or you're not most comfortable being there because to the rest of us, whether band or audience watching, you seem like you kind of own the room in the moment. So that's there's something special there. And I've seen a lot of people who are extremely confident on stage come off stage and you're like, holy smokes, like a different person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you have any exercises that you do? How, like, how do you, anything specific to, to work on the anxiety or you just go and do it and hope that it goes away? <laughs> well, I always, I always do my vocal warm ups before going on stage. So that kind of helps to get rid of some of that excess energy. Yeah, um, yeah. And then sometimes, honestly, like it sounds really stupid, but like I'll run on the spot, like something that I can just burn that excess crazy energy that's like vibing through your body. Um, right, right. To just yeah. like push it out and, and use it to propel you to, mm. you know, stay in the moment and, and stay focused on the task at hand. <laughs> yeah. And over preparation, like you just keep preparing to kind yeah. of just like stay on task and probably go over your words a thousand times or just like think of that moment like, oh, what's that one lyric? Okay. Yeah. 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 And I think over preparing and just like she said, getting that energy out helps so much. Even if it looks stupid, you got to do it. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. Yeah. I was listening to George St. Pierre this morning. I know Dariki's a fan of UFC. I'm really not, but he said something interesting too because the only fight that he said that he lost in his pro career was the one that he came in um, overconfident. Confident. Usually he said yeah. he came in really nervous and scared, really. So that's there's something there. So um, I guess the preparation does speak loudly there. Um, yeah, and I feel I guess, like it's, it, if you didn't care about what you were doing then maybe it would make sense to go in like super confident, right? But like I, I really care about me having people have an enjoyable moment, you know? And, right, and I, right. I, yeah, I, that yeah, really yeah. matters to me that I don't want to just go and like be a big schlep on stage and, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, not, yeah. not do what I've been hired to do. True, so, right. you know, I, I think that part of that anxiety comes from a place of really caring about the audience, and making Absolutely. sure that they're having an enjoyable experience. Nice. Okay. That makes While sense. you're being super vulnerable, you know, like that, oh, gosh, that yeah. at the same time, you just, yeah. I think there's a combination of just exposing yourself on that level and then hoping that people like what you're exposing, you know, I think exactly. it's, a, <laughs> it's a very weird situation for any singer. Can you talk about real quickly the experience of just like the first time you shared a song with somebody and they were, they kind of validated all of your hard work, you know, someone you kind of respected. Do you remember that moment and what it was like? Yeah, I um, had the luck to be um, seen, I guess, when I was a kid. I was 12, 13 years old and yeah. someone yeah. saw me performing and they um, they actually financed my first project. Um, wow. Wow. So I recorded my first album when I was 14 years old. Well, I was 13 and I was 14 wow. when it came out and... It was it was nine songs that I had written by myself, and that was the first At time 13? that I'd ever. Ha- yeah, wow. and that was okay. the first okay. time by yourself. by yourself. That's incredible. By myself, yeah. I mean, like, really, it's not that amazing of a project. It's. A yeah. <laughs> I mean, still, song. still, you tried, you, you tried, did it. You, did you know, how many thirteen-year-olds did that? So and I mean, um, 
Though not yeah, <laughs> it was. But I remember taking my songs to that to the producer, the Craig Fotheringham, who was a well-known, well-respected um, producer, uh, the late Craig Fotheringham in Winnipeg. Um, right, right. He produced that first project, and uh, I remember taking my little songs to him and just being like excited. Because yeah, I was yeah. at that age, I was so overconfident, and I just had like <laughs> mountains of confidence. Like I just, right, I, I right. thought, who's not gonna love me? You know, like <laughs> the. <laughs> it was really, in hindsight, it's really ridiculous. But, <laughs> um, needless to say, the the music business did humble me over the years. Right, it'll right. do that real quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at, at thirteen, I just had like these, you know, pie in the sky dreams and and mountains of mm-hmm. overconfidence and. Um, and Craig was incredible to work with. In fact, I was living four hours north of Winnipeg uh, at the time, which I still live in Dauphin, Manitoba, and um, took the Greyhound bus to Winnipeg every weekend. My mom was a single mom, and so she couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't afford to pay a hotel room and, and travel and driving me back and forth to Winnipeg. So threw me on the Greyhound bus on Fridays. Craig would pick me up at the bus depot, and we'd go work in the studio. Wow, and then nice, uh, nice. I would just stay at family friend's place and... Uh, take the transit bus to his studio again on Saturday and we'd work all day and then transit back to my friend's place and then transit back to the bus depot on Sunday and get back home. So we did that for about six months while we were recording that project. So that was the first time that I'd ever shared my music, my original music with someone. Wow, that's incredible. That's intense. So you were 13. riding on the bus? Yeah, (laughs) I was 13 riding on the bus. (laughs) Well, yeah. um, so at that age, I mean, you're so young at 13 um, and already writing and I guess being paid to or at least having the project financed. How much, uh, I guess, did you have any formal training at that point? No, are you kidding? My, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, my mom uh, was a single mom. Like I said, she worked two full-time jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, putting food on her table and a roof over her head. She didn't have, we didn't have extra cash kicking around to put me in guitar lessons or vocal lessons or none of that mm. stuff. And so, mm-hmm. um, so no, it was just something that I, I kept practicing and working on and probably drove her crazy, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, singing. Um, I, I had a little karaoke machine that I sang along to and, uh, oh man, if my kids did that now, they would probably drive me bananas. Right. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So yeah, that's interesting. I want to just kind of pick up right there. So when you're 13 years old, you're going through this whole process of recording the music. To me, country music kind of speaks to a whole lifestyle. Were you, would you say that you at that point were kind of living the lifestyle? I don't even know if I'm making something up here. Um, Does this make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you perceive as the lifestyle, right? Like I grew I up in Dauphin. I don't want to go any further. I'll sound like an idiot if I, I'll just let you talk from here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I grew up in Dauphin, which is about three and a half hours north of Winnipeg. And so, okay. um, if, you know, I grew up, uh, I, I got a 410 shotgun for my 12th birthday and we would go Yikes. hunting chickens. That sounds and about right so okay. far. Okay. Is that what you were perceiving for the country lifestyle? That's, that's, a, that's a small piece <laughs> yes. of it. That checked one box for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know. (laughs) So we, I grew up hunting chickens, and and um, my mom, like I said, was Métis, and so 
we always had deer meat and, uh, hmm. you know, uncles and uh, the male members of our family would, would go hunting and they would kick us back some deer meat and, and fish, you know, pickerel or whatever. And right, um, right. yeah, we grew up like quadding and just, yeah, being in, in out What's on the quadding? land. And, What's quadding? What's quadding? Are you, are you kidding? I, I actually know what quadding is. Wow. Two out no, of I knew what it was. Four wheels, four wheelers. Yeah, like right. a, oh, a quad. Okay, okay. Quadding. Okay. Yeah, okay. Quadding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Makes okay. Sense. <laughs> that was an exercise. Squatting. <laughs> please, okay. I think I get it now, but please. Full tell disclosure: other I listeners. have relatives in Thompson, Manitoba, so I kind of oh, know a little okay. thing too about uh, thingers. Uh, okay. See, the, yeah. the thing is, yeah. most I, I don't know if America's like that. It probably is, but in Canada, especially in southern Ontario, I don't think most of us know too much about the rest of the country. Um. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So I don't, even yeah, though we're absolutely. in the same country, I kind of have very little idea of what yeah. life is like uh, in yeah. the center of the country yeah. or in the north of well, the country. Let's try yeah. this. That's fair. So, yeah, please tell what us about you, Tell honestly, us about like, Toronto. What's your perception of Toronto now that you've oh, mentioned that's that, that's interesting, man. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Like you want my perception of Toronto? Yeah, city slickers. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. <laughs> oh my city slickers. <laughs> You know what? I've spent a lot of time in different cities across North America and I love visiting cities. I, I think they're a lot of fun, but they're sure. so loud, like oh. so loud. <laughs> and when I get back home, like I'm, I'm currently um, chatting with you guys from my cabin and okay, nice, nice. it's lakefront. And I have spent oh, a week wow. sitting by the lake, sitting by the water, right, um, right. kayaking. Serenity. Quadding, quadding yeah. 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 on jealous. my ATV, fishing, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's just so quiet and so peaceful. And you know, at night when we're sitting by the bonfire, the only sounds you can hear are the fire and the waves, right, and right. and the wind. And it's like I I can't even imagine living in a city where I was listening to sirens and people. Mm all the yeah, time yeah. like it would just it, it would just be too loud for me there's times even when I've been on tour and I've gone to like whatever hotel I'm staying in and if it's a street facing hotel like I have trouble sleeping sometimes at night oh. because it's so loud to oh, me wow. like that that city sound is is so different than what I'm used to so that's my perception of with all due respect hey no <laughs> I, I get it I get no that's fair <laughs> that's fair I guess the idea of having like a city sleep track won't be uh something that you'll be interested in then <laughs> we'll no. make you one anyway <laughs> coming your way soon check your email um you mentioned touring can you talk to us a little bit about that i mean you jump or i'm jumping now from your first album at 13 what was uh, kind of the next steps that led towards you putting your music out there and start starting to perform live yeah so when i uh, released that album i was working with a manager and booking agent. And so my part-time job in high school was to play shows on the weekends. So I did school during the weeks. I would sometimes miss a Monday or a Friday. Um, and, and on the weekends, I would play various gigs around Manitoba, Saskatchewan, uh, Alberta. And, um, and then after I graduated high school, I went to university and I kind of put music on the back burner for a bit. And then in 2010, when I had finished uh, university, I wanted to get back into music. And I went to my bank 
and I asked them for a $10,000 loan. And I was a broke student with student loans up to my eyeballs. And they said, absolutely not. (laughs) We're not giving you a loan. But they did say, they they did say, we'll give you $5,000. So I said, okay, well, I can take that five grand and I can save another five grand and I'll, I'll figure out how to get this album recorded. So I did. I uh, worked with Aaron Chatterveity, who is now a producer based out of Toronto. um, And he produced my first, my, my, like, first album that I was in charge of, so to speak. And, um, yeah. And then that allowed me, I mean, back then it was kind of, it's hard. I think when I think about an an emerging artist, that's just breaking into, um, whatever genre it is that they're working in, because you have no track record. So to go to a granting body or a funding body and ask them to fund a project when you have no track record is, is really hard. And so I knew then that either I would have to invest personally into my career or, or I would just not make it, not produce albums and not, not have any produced work. And so had it not been really for that first little loan that I took out to make that first album coming out of you know, or first album into adulthood, I should say, because it was really my right, second right. one, but it feels like my first one. Um, that really served as a stepping stone to everything that I've done since. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad that I, I took that, I, that, it, that um, initiative to invest in, in my career at that time. If you could change one thing about the Manitoba music scene right now, if, like if I could give you a magic wand, what would you what would you want to see differently? Oh, that's a tough question. I mean, I think I can only speak to my own personal experience as an as an Indigenous artist. I think there's still a lot of barriers for Indigenous artists that um, a lot of people um, don't don't uh, don't know or don't think about. Um, I think that one thing that I would love to see more of is investment in honing the craft. You know, Mm -hmm. if I'd had an opportunity to take guitar lessons at an early age or to take voice lessons at an early age, how much further would have I been able to take my career or how much further would have I already been when I released my first album? Yeah, Um, yeah. You know, just just investing in, in natural talent for for young yeah, people yeah. i think is is something that's really lacking uh particularly right, right. in indigenous communities absolutely i could imagine i mean in most urban or any community really except for you know a small percentage the resource or access to music in general is really really tough i could imagine being in rural manitoba it's it's really really hard um is there anything there currently right now that is kind of a program for anybody to get access to music or is there just uh, absolutely nothing right now? Oh, no. We have uh, uh, Manitoba Music is probably my favorite resource. I'm a little bit biased because I sit on their board of directors. Um, but it's, oh, wow. Oh, wow. it's an incredible um, organization within within the province of Manitoba. We also have an Indigenous music development program. So... Any any um, buddy can join um, Manitoba Music and become a member, and then receive um, all of the resources that fall within under the umbrella of Manitoba Music. So that's a, an incredible resource for 
um, for any artist, no matter what uh, level they're at. And uh, what's the website that we could shout them out right now for anybody listening? Manitobamusic.com. <laughs> That's enough, jiggle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not even dot .ca, shame. Oh. Is it CA? No. I don't know. Yeah. Sing it again dot .ca just in case, and then we'll edit it. <laughs> Let me just see. Hang on. Can no, it's got to be .com. That? I'm just saying I'm surprised it's not .ca. It's .com. Yeah. It is .com. There you go. There you go. Uh, that's okay. We won't judge. Got <laughs> 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 it right. <laughs> oh, man. Do you so think I also with... Read, uh, oh, oh ahead, sorry. Man. Delay. Go ahead, Anthony. No, you go ahead. I insist. I insist. Okay. Um, do you think with the advent... Because when when the four of us were all interested in, in music and learning and, and things like that, all of us had to do it the old school way, right? You had to have a teacher or at least go to the library and find a book on guitars or bass or anything else. Um, are you seeing uh, the, the internet as a, uh, a viable substitute for some of the stuff that you feel like uh, young artists should have access to? Or is it a bit too chaotic to make any sense of at, uh, at, at certain well, ages? I mean, I think that, so full confession, I don't have internet at my house oh, because so I just can't, I just can't get That's it. Beautiful. I have, oh, I have satellite internet, oh, but it yeah. is too slow and I can't use it for anything um, wow. really other mm. than like the tiniest um, search. Like I can send an email with it, but to pull up a YouTube video and watch Netflix or anything like I can't do any of that. Uh, and I think that the internet um, is, is like uh, Leonard Sumner. He's a well-known indigenous uh, spoken word hip hop artist. One of my favorite uh, indigenous artists. He talks a lot about, or I've talked to him about um, when he was learning to play guitar, he was watching YouTube and, mm -hmm. but like a lot of communities still don't have internet. And right. so, yeah, yeah a, I mean, great I, I think, if, yeah, I think that if you're somewhere in an urban or like, you know, even rural, but not so rural area, um, then the internet can serve as an incredible resource. But a lot for of sure. the more remote communities, it's, it's, uh, it's still not accessible. Like I live 10 miles south of a city in Manitoba. Um, and there's no internet. There, well, no, and it's just because we oh, live oh, by the Riding Mountain National Park. So there's like too many trees and it's just way uh, too treed in that we'd have to build an enormous tower. I mean, we could get it, but it, it would be a giant investment to get right. internet. Um, you, you but you have it at, at your tower. cottage? I have it at my cottage. So this just is not at home. <laughs> That's so yeah. flipped. Because yeah. in yeah. Ontario, <laughs> we go to the cottage to disconnect. <laughs> Yeah. In Manitoba, it's the other way around. For me, anyway, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy because you think of like Chris Hadfield was, you know, tweeting and, and making videos mm -hmm. from, the, from outer space. And yeah. they have uh, internet in Antarctica where they're doing all of their scientific research. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah. But I can't get it eight miles south of Dauphin. Yeah. What's interesting about frustrating. that, and I mean, the ISS is only like 200 miles above our heads right in in a way uh where you live is a lot more remote 
you can't just shoot straight up shoot a beam straight down to communicate so that that makes sense as uh ironic as it may be <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty wild but i i think probably you know in in communities where kids are are trying to access music and and um, music education uh if they have the internet like man that would have made my life a lot easier growing up trying to figure For out sure. how to play guitar yeah, yeah. Yeah. Second that. So I guess radio is probably still a big way of listening to music then. Is that kind of how it works where you are? Yeah, well, um, definitely radio and especially in the country music format. Like it's radio is still a huge driver for, um, for country music. Um, but yeah, we listen to, uh, well, my husband's into like playlists and stuff like that. I, I try and stay away from some of the playlists sometimes and just, I, I like listening to the radio. I'm kind of old fashioned maybe that way, but I like knowing what people have for sale in town and I like, knowing, like community yeah, radio yeah. when they, when they, you know, do the buy and sell. And I, I like <laughs> listening to what's happening locally on the news and all of that stuff. So. But no ads about internet service. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That's just mean. <laughs> Sorry. It was wide open. I had to. <laughs> I have a question just uh, based on the last year. How did COVID, uh, COVID, how did COVID impact um, your community in Manitoba? Um, well, musically, I mean, obviously it halted absolutely everything. Right. Like I released an album in February of 2020 and then March couldn't tour or work that album at all. And so it really, really, right, right, yeah. and I'm completely, you know, self-managed. Like I don't have a label. I don't have a manager. I don't have, um, I don't have a giant team working with me. Right. And right. so yeah. Yeah. to try and pivot quickly was challenging to say the least. Especially with no internet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At home. And, mm -hmm. um, and so there were moments like when it first when, it, when the pandemic first um, shut down everything, yeah, where I yeah. was like just in a slump, like I would feel really sorry for myself and like really for down. Sure, and, sure. you know, I'd invested so much into this project and yeah. um, had like plans. I had plans. Come on, yeah. Yeah. universe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and none of that, none of them unfolded the way that I wanted or expected them to. And so that, um, but then you know, I would give myself permission to feel sorry for myself for a little bit. And then I'd be like, okay, mm. shake it off. Like, this is just the mm -hmm. way it, it yeah. goes. And, yeah. and really everybody was in the same boat. So exactly. the fact exactly. that like, you know, my, my sorrow or my, whatever was happening to me, wasn't any worse or any better than what was happening to every other artist who had just released music. True. You know, True. it was, yeah. Yeah. it just was something that just happened. And so, I mean, I was really thankful for, um, there were many festivals that pivoted online and I, I got to pick up some work, um, some online work that way. Um, nice, nice. that was, was really, really, um, very much appreciated. Yeah, um, nice. but I think like on a personal level with the pandemic that yeah. where we live, um, like where I live in the country, it didn't really affect me all that much other than I couldn't okay. travel, yeah. which is something that right, I was really right. used to doing, but like I was out snowshoeing and ice fishing and right, snowmobiling right, right. and quadding and, quadding. you know, having <laughs> bonfires and all of that stuff. And so I, you know, and again, I think about like folks living in the city that are in 
condo living on top of each other and like yeah. i just yeah. i can't even imagine how like and i mean that in all sincerity that like how different that impact would have been yeah. It, yeah, without sure. having all of the wide open space that we have here in the in the country right, right. and i so i was really really thankful for for having as much space here as we do for what's sure. interesting about that is that here people tried to escape and go to cottages and go to Muskoka or wherever. And people from those areas didn't want the Southern Ontarians there bringing up their disease and all that. So there were like tire slashes and and stuff like that. So people were kind of forced to stay down here during that time when everybody kind of wanted to get away and have that lifestyle. Might as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. you know, and and again, that's something that like I never, I I wouldn't have thought about that people would be like actually slashing other people's tires yeah, because they're like, they don't want yeah, them like, in the area. Get like, out of here, you city slickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just normal to me, and it's interesting your perspective because <laughs> it's so foreign to you. It's it's awesome because it was just like yeah, that, that makes sense. City's crazy. <laughs> City is nuts. Yeah, yeah. A lot of but that's the thing. It was Muskoka that was doing that. The city folks were kind of cool. right. They just the wanted to get out. Yeah. Doing it to the city folks, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, we can get kind of wild sometimes. So, <laughs> so you're taking credit. It's pretty far. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, that's it, it, it is, and, it, and I think that it's it's we've seen that throughout the year that it's brought out some of the best in people and it's brought out some of the worst in people. Oh yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't condone slashing tires. For to anybody, I wouldn't. <laughs> that's a little bit overboard. But yeah, how can you leave if your tires yeah, are yeah, slashed? Now, now? now you got me trapped exactly. here. Yeah, yeah, now I'm stuck here with you. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's poetic yeah. justice right there. Um, so you know, I want we talked a little bit about your touring life. I read that you had done some work in Nashville, so I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about that too, because that seems to be kind of the heart, or at least one of the hubs of country music. Yeah. Um, I've been to Nashville quite a few times and uh, one of my most memorable trips was when we, um, and I say we, I'm I'm referring to uh, my friend Stephen Arundel who has played guitar for me um, for over a decade now. So we've done a lot of work together and spent a lot of time in the vehicle together traveling. And uh, we played a gig in Banff. Uh, one night and we our set didn't end until one in the morning and then we drove to the Calgary airport and uh, slept on a bench at the airport and then our flight to Nashville left at five in the morning so it was that was like (laughs) insane because by the time we got to Nashville we had been up for 36 hours and um I've I've only ever gone so that occasion was was crazy because I actually had booked some performances while I was down there and uh, that was the first time that I'd ever played down there was in uh, September of 2019 oh, nice. and um, so it was it that was a really cool trip and uh, and I've gone back since um, to do writing uh, I, I booked a week of co-writes and actually. The uh, song that I just released was a was a product of one of that co-writing trip. Oh, nice. So I had reached out. Um, actually, my producer had a bunch of connections and hooked me up with some co-writes. And uh, 
Crystal Shawanda, that I, who I co-wrote Sometimes I Drink With, um, I had reached out to her half expecting her to say no, like, you know, kind of brushing me off. Like she's definitely a, a more advanced artist than I am. And, um, okay. and I just, I reached out and I thought, well, because I always think the worst that someone's going to say is no. And I've heard so many no's True. that like it doesn't even <laughs> phase me anymore. It's like, okay, well, right. move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So I reached out and, and I honestly didn't expect her to say yes. Like I thought she would kind of slough me off and say, you know what, I'm really busy or whatever. But she she did say yes. And she invited me into her home and I met her husband and I met her son or her daughter. And um, we went into her studio and, and we wrote this song. And so um, that was a, a pretty cool, a pretty cool trip as well. I can imagine. Do you do a lot of home you- recording? I'm very sorry. I keep thinking there's like a two second delay on my end. I'm going to back okay. away now. Okay. I'm over here. No, no, no. <laughs> no yeah, I don't do. <laughs> I don't do any home recording. I am like so technologically challenged that the fact that I actually have a microphone hooked in <laughs> to like talk to you guys and it's on like a little six channel mixer is mm. a freaking Christmas miracle oh. because I am so incompetent when it comes to tech that well um, i heard how you set it up and that yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty resourceful to me <laughs> <laughs> and is that something as an artist that you want to because there there are different ways of being an artist some of them are very hands-on with the tech some of them are not unfortunately and i do mean unfortunately to be able to communicate your music you need the tech avenue it is for an artist, it can be unfortunate that you have ideas in your head that you you have to go through all these pieces of metal to communicate them to others. Is that something that you want to embellish on? Or is your style like, I'm going to hire or work with people that know what they're doing and I'm not interested in doing that. I'm just interested in the music. Yeah, so it's uh, that's a big, big question because I think that there's so many things that intersect with tech. I think as a woman, um, we're not, we haven't really been encouraged to, to figure out how to use the tech. Mm. And Mm. I mean, when you look at how many producers are women, like that, that, that is, it's insane. I mean, I don't even know the percentage, but, um, I can very, probably, very low, like one or two. Yeah, yeah. like very. I can probably, I think, I, right. I can think of one female producer in yeah. country music, one. Damn, wow. And um, and she's killing it right now. But um, What's her name? Shout her out. Yeah, shout her out for sure. Karen Kozowski. Karen Kozowski. Karen Kozowski. Yeah, she's, no. uh, yeah I, I think actually she's working with, um, well, I don't want to say because I don't know for sure. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, the uh, it's it's wild, and so I think that that's one aspect of why um, female artists um, like like myself uh, just don't have the the um, tech language down. Um, right, so, right. but I did just attend a uh, women in music songwriting um, camp, and it took place throughout the entire month of June. Mm-hmm. And nice. one aspect of that camp was learning how to um, produce just like a basic guitar track and a basic vocal track. Right. And right. so I downloaded um, Logic and I thought, okay. 
Like, I'm not a stupid person. I can probably figure out how to, like, how to just, you know, even if I could just get vocal and guitar down, that would be amazing. Big start. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I did it, and it sucked. Like, it was the worst, <laughs> worst piece of produced music I'd ever heard in my life. But the fact that I did it Damn. kind of Damn. made me feel like, okay, if I can figure out how to work on this, like, then I can communicate better when I when I get into the studio but to answer your question how I communicate now is like I'll just sing the sounds sonically that I'm hearing and so and sometimes I drink there's like a bass solo section and I wanted that I specifically wanted that bass solo section in there and so Mm -hmm. I would just hum what I was hearing to Chris Bergafni (laughs) who produced that track and and thankfully him and I have worked together and we have a relationship where Mm -hmm. you know he at least isn't outwardly annoyed with me and my uh, inability to communicate in a way that makes sense to him. But yeah, between, yeah. you know, it, so, so that was, um, that, that's typically how I've, how I've done that. You know, it's almost, it's interesting as sort of a point of privilege. When I was asking that question, I wasn't even thinking of, of gender and the difficulties, the extra difficulties that might come with that. Uh, and I don't know if you want to, you know, go into this topic more, but do you, what, have you, have you experienced anything like that in the studio where someone would be like, you, you know, leave that alone, let us handle it because of your gender? Is that something that you're, you're feeling less of these days or is it still the same? No, because I, I, I've worked only with people that I want to work with and that want to work with me. Mm. And I'm, I'm mm. the boss. Like I'm the one paying the bills at the yeah, end of the right, day. Right. So <laughs> hey, it's, hey, you know, it, what, what I want, it should be what I get. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. But I, I yeah. but I think that, um, I, I do think that a lot of, a lot of female artists, especially young, young female artists, mm-hmm. uh, are probably not treated with the level of respect that a, that a male artist might be. Mm. And, and, yeah. and because we're socialized to, you know, be, be nice and be kind and sweet and not to rock any boats. Right. You know, right. it's easy, I think for female artists to be persuaded to, um, you know, musically have something that wasn't what they necessarily envisioned. Right. And, or suppress and their rest. creativity and kind of let the, mm-hmm. the men exactly. take over. That's interesting. Exactly. For sure. yeah. Is, uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I also think like, you know, you can't, you can also can't ignore the intersectionality of like, not only am I a woman, but I'm indigenous. Of course. Right. And in the right. country, right. in the country music genre, um, there's a study and I, I can email it to, uh, I can send it out to you afterwards, but it's, 0.3% of country artists on the radio are indigenous. Hmm. 0.3%. And right, right. when I read that study... That's a Canadian statistic? I honestly... North American. North American, okay. North American, yeah. Okay. yeah. And, uh, and when I read that study, I thought, oh my gosh, like I had never naively, I, had, I hadn't really turned my mind to that my indigeneity could prevent me from having radio play. Mm. And, uh, mm. and I don't know if it has, but right. having read that study, I, I, mm. I think it would be naive to think that it hasn't. Right. Right. So, That's I mean, there's, there's, point. and I mean, there's, there's so many other intersectionalities that you could get into. 
Um, of course. But the country music genre specifically is also known for being very conservative and very, um, you know, like Mickey Guyton, who's a, a black country artist, she's killing it right now in Nashville and she's like dominating yeah, yeah. country music. I don't know if I can even think of another black artist that has been, you know, working mainstream like she is. I mean, there was right, there's right. there have been black male artists, Gary but Clark. not black women that have have yeah. uh, you know taken off and and really been incredibly successful. And so we're I think we're starting to see um, a shift in the genre, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. it's slow. It's slow movement, yeah. It's slow. Are there other indigenous country artists that you could shout out right now to our artists to kind of maybe check out or uh, for people that aren't aware of some of the great talent that's in the community, maybe shout them out right now and kind of give them a little bit of shine and share some of these these great people that I think you, like you say, deserve a stage or deserve a little bit more airtime on the radio and just in general. Yeah, um... I mean, there are there are so many. The, the people that come to the, the top of my mind are people like Don Amaro, who is mm-hmm. um, just like his career is taking off, and he's one of my yeah. favorite friends in country music, and one of my longest uh, longest time. I mean, longest one of my oldest friends, and I don't mean oldest in terms of uh, age <laughs> chronologically. <laughs> um, Jade Turner. Jade Turner is a Manitoba artist as well, and incredible okay. voice. Her voice is nice, like nice. magic. Mm. Um, Will Prince is, is, uh, more in the roots, uh, genre and, and he's doing really well right now. Um, yeah, those are, those are the top start, three that though, come yeah, to yeah, my yeah. mind. Yeah. Start, start for with sure, them. For sure. Okay. But who is your oldest friend? <laughs> <laughs> probably Don. <laughs> okay. He's probably my oldest friend too. You hear that, Don? <laughs> it just worked out. <laughs> can we hear That's your socials wisdom. as well? How can people reach you? How can people hear your music? Yeah, it's I'm Desiree Dorian on everything except for Facebook. There was another Desiree Dorian that took my Facebook there handle. She, so she. Oh, I, I'm her. Des Dorian on, on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> but DesireeDorian.com, Desiree Dorian on Instagram, and uh, and my website's... Well, I think I said my website already. But Say it again. DesireeDorian.com. Yes, DesireeDorian.com. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and to us, your boss you lady. So, so, boss lady, thank you so much for sharing your uh, <laughs> unique perspective. We really enjoyed our chat, and we'll definitely keep in touch with you. For yeah, sure. thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit 
dnaairwaves.com slash captivate today to start your free trial.